Good morning. Super excited to, can you hear me? Yeah. I talk into the mic, thank you. You, I want to make a rule that Aurelia can't sit on the front row when I preach anymore. It just, there's always a minute and a half to two minutes of this, and we have things to do. I'm going to read from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 26, starting in verse 6 this morning. And uh, Matthew says, Now Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon with the skin disease. A woman came to him who had an alabaster vessel of extremely valuable balm, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were angry and said, What purpose does this waste serve? For this could have been sold for much and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, understanding, said to them, Why are you making this trouble for the woman? She has done something good for me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. By pouring this balm on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. We hear the voice of God through these words. So hopefully you saw in the readings today, the, the, there are these women bringing and bearing the good news of God, both in the Old and New, New Testament. And if you didn't hear that, that's fine. In the readings from today, there's this theme of women, both in the Old and New Testament, bringing forth the good news of God. That's okay, good. Um, as I looked at the text for this week, I, I was struck by a number of things as we're in this season of Lent, a season of preparation, and, and I was struck by a number of things, both in the text and in the world around us. In the reading from Isaiah, it's the woman of Zion who is proclaiming the good news. It's the woman of Zion who is shepherding the folk of God. She's said to carry them in her bosom like a mother sheep. And in the psalm, creation is said to be dwelling in the femininity of God. And it ends by saying that the women who proclaim the good news are a great army. We didn't read the text from Romans, but Paul uh, is doing one of the lists that he does where he's like, hey, thank all these people. And then he lists everybody he's ever met. And it's like, come on, man. But in that list, he, he goes through a number of women and he calls them disciples. Elsewhere, where Paul writes, he talks about the women that he learned the good news from. And Paul gets a bad rap, and in some places he might deserve it, but uh, I think maybe, I know I'm not always sure how to read him. I know I'm guilty a lot of the times of looking at Jesus through the lens of Paul instead of Paul through the lens of Jesus, and maybe you are too, but, but here particularly and in some other places, Paul is very clear that there are these women who are bringing forth the good news of who Jesus is. Let's pause here before we look at the woman who prepared Jesus for his, his burial and in, as I looked at these texts and think about the things going on in the world around us, in the last month, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, you may be familiar with them. Um, I don't, th- we don't have like any kind of official affiliation to them or unofficial. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, I just like wanted to be clear. Um, they expelled Saddleback Church in Southern California from their fellowship last month. And uh, y'all, because they had a woman on their staff who had the word pastor in her title. I didn't know that was something they were even considering. And the week before that happened, I told somebody, we were talking about something else entirely in relation to Saddleback and the SBC. And I said, the SBC would never expel Saddleback Church because they're a cash cow for the SBC. And, 
you know, like a lot of institutions, money talks, um, secular, religious, whatever the case may be. So I was shocked. You can overlook a lot of things for the sake of money, but, but they have now decided that Saddleback, because of this one egregious uh, action, can no longer be a part of who they are. What's more is that the SBC is still considering expulsion for other churches for the same reason. Y'all, sometimes you cannot make this stuff up. Yesterday, after I'd already finished writing this, or so I thought, I read an incredibly interesting, see, uh, inane, ridiculous, what is going on article, and it's about a pastor from the Southern Baptist Convention who has started a website now listing other churches that have Southern Baptist Convention affiliation that have females on staff with the word pastor in the title, but it's not for a great reason, Miles. It's because they want to, they, he wants to expel them as well. He's listed 170 churches. Now, the SBC has something like 50,000 affiliated churches, and there are even churches that are like, yeah, our name's on that list, but that's not us. Uh, and so, the point is that there's not that it doesn't end here the church that he serves at had a female interim pastor before he served there but he was sure in the article to note that all members of that church have now returned to faithfulness on the matter of uh female pastors yeah but i'll make a prediction it's not going to stop with women pastors or women who are in roles of power over men i don't know what the next issue will be although i probably like you have some guesses um, but there are more, and one of the ways I know that it won't stop there is that in another institution of power, uh, last year the Supreme Court overturned the Roe v. Wade decision, and in that decision, Justice Clarence Thomas wrote that there are a number of other decisions that maybe the court should reconsider. Protection not just of same-sex marriage, but of same-sex relations, uh, protections for contraceptions, protections even for interracial marriage, something that would have an impact on his own marriage. And all this is to say nothing of the blatant attacks on trans men, women and children, and other gender nonconforming people at the local, state, and federal levels. Almost every single one of the issues that he listed in that decision is now already being challenged in court systems around the country, as well as state and federal legislatures. So it doesn't end with the one thing. It goes on. It's not the first time an institution has taken one step to lay the groundwork for more, and it won't be the last. It's probably, unfortunately, just a problem of the human condition, the acquisition and consolidation of power by othering. If you can not think about the other as a person, it becomes easier to decry their acts, even acts of love and service as we read of the woman and the story in Matthew. So often as not, there are women and other marginalized people on the front lines, doing the hard work, bringing light to the harms being done, caring for those who are being hurt because they have been hurt. In the midst of the pandemic with civil and racial unrest, there were walls of mothers protecting people who often receive little afterthought about whether or not they'll be victims of state-sanctioned violence, something with which Jesus will become familiar in the next several weeks, according to our tradition. So we come to this woman in John's gospel, he calls her Mary, but he doesn't specify which Mary. And the others just call her a woman of ill repute or generally give her an unkind description. And I'm not really sure why that is. It doesn't do a ton for the story. There are other ways that they could make the point that she's making a personal and financial sacrifice. But this is the way she's described. And what's going to end up being one of two uh, 
West Wing references that I'll make an official piece of Christ communications this week. Listen, if there's one thing I'm going to do, it's going to be reference the West Wing or Star Trek, and I'm so sorry for that. But uh, I'm reminded of President Bartlett saying, as his wife is about to be, maybe in some ways rightly uh, taken to task uh, by Congress for something she did, but really as a result of something he did, he says to some of the other people in the room, he says, guys, the things we do to women. And many of the women that I know say to that, a fucking men. Sorry. That's why you can't sit on the front row. The woman in this story, in this case, we've maligned her and in the end lost her name to history. And Jesus says that wherever the good news is spread, she will not be forgotten. All too often, she is a forgotten woman among the ignored throughout the history of the church and the world. We know her story. We know that she existed, but we don't really know who she was. Other women like this, women like Henrietta Lacks, whose cells, taken unbeknownst to her and her family for many years, made advances in treatment for HPV, polio, and breakthroughs in IVF. It's possible you've never heard of Henrietta Lacks, and I would almost guarantee you that's by design. Women in, in the history of the church, like Julian of Norwich, and maybe you're familiar with her name. People, you know, in some of our more progressive circles tend to be, but often the full impact of her life and work in the mystical stream of our tradition is not really grasped. And I could go on and on and name more and more women, but we only have so long together this morning. This woman, forgotten in many ways, like many of the others throughout history ignored is doing one of the most important acts of the Lent story. Jesus says she's preparing him for burial. At this time, as far as my understanding of the story goes, the disciples and his followers still don't have an understanding of what's about to happen, that he's going to be killed, that that, that, the, the fullness of what he's been saying is going to come about. And Jesus is saying she does. She gets it. She knows what's happening. She has, whether she knows it or not, this innate grasp that he is near the end of his living ministry. In the, in the coming weeks of the Lent story, we, we look at the rest of the journey, Palm Sunday, the Last Supper, these other things. But seeing here Jesus prepared and cared for in one way by a woman whose name we may never know. Once again, when a woman is interacting with him and and she's being rebuked, what is she doing? Why is she doing this? We could have sold that. We could have used the money. He says, he comes to her defense and says, "You, you don't understand what she's doing. You don't understand what's coming. She does. So I'm reminded of how often, um, how many people that are on the margins, that are the othered, that are the put out, Many times women in our culture and our society and history have been brushed aside because we don't want to listen to those people. Because that's not what we do. I want to be more open to those people. The ignored, the forgotten, the marginalized, the women, the other of all kinds. As I suspect that more often than not, they have a better idea of what's going on in the world around me. They are keen observers of the harms of the oppressions. They, they are much better prepared for the darkness that is to come, and they are likely far more prepared to lead me into the light, joy, and peace and abundance of Christ. Would you pray with me? I thank you for 
these people, this community that comes together, shares hope, shares joy, shares struggle, shares light and darkness. As we move through this season of Lent, this season of preparation, as we examine our own lives, as we examine the world around us, that we are reminded 